Hey everybody, it is Monday, December 2nd, 2019, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Azledike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On today's episode, I wanted to touch on a couple of interesting-ish car news stories. Uh, Something about uh, two SUVs, one very, very luxurious, one that's... Well, I don't know what it is. It's it's kind of a weird touch-and-go kind of thing. Uh, The other big thing I want to talk about is Formula One. We just wrapped up the 2019 series in Abu Dhabi this past weekend, and I've got some hot takes on where we're at as we finish things up and uh, head, or at least get ready to head into the 2020 preseason. Last up, I wanted to touch on uh, some personal stuff again uh, within, uh, well, regards to car shopping. Uh, Unfortunately, I was involved in a minor motor vehicle accident over the Thanksgiving break. I'm completely fine. However, my car isn't. Still waiting to hear back from insurance on what they do or do not want to do with my Fiesta. Uh, But in any case, uh, I'm looking for other vehicles and we'll kind of touch on a few of the things that I'm looking at and kind of the weird balancing act, I guess, of sorts that I'm looking at uh, as I head into the new year. But first things first, we'll talk a bit about some news. Uh, it's kind of a slow season, kind of coming off the Los Angeles Auto Show. Uh, lots of interesting announcements there, really in general. Uh, one of the things I keep kind of seeing pop up, at least in my feed, uh, and one that I really don't feel like we got a lot of tangible... Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily words, reviews, thoughts, feelings about... was the Mazda CX-30. Uh, I... I have to say, it's a, it's a very good-looking crossover, uh, both in the interior, the exterior. Uh, the fit and finish on Mazdas, of course, are very, very good. Uh, but it's one of those things that just doesn't seem to have a reason to exist. Uh, I, I don't want to be too mean-spirited about the car, because I'm sure it is very nice, and I would love to drive one if Mazda would ever be so willing to provide me with one for a few days to take a look at. Uh, it slots in between the CX-3 and the CX-5. Uh, it's definitely sp- supposed to have a little bit more of a bend toward a luxury experience. Um, typically, the CX nomenclature meant other things, so I... I don't know. I I don't know where we're heading on this one, but I just kind of wanted to mention that as one of the vehicles that we didn't really talk about a whole lot uh, before the show. Uh, But anyway, news. That's where we're at. Uh, So first up, uh, the Genesis GV80. It's an SUV that got a concept earlier this year in 2019 at the New York Auto Show. Uh, We're starting to see more and more details about what this crossover, question mark, actual SUV exclamation point question mark ends up being or becoming uh the gv80 looks like it is going to be built on an all-new platform that's going to be shared with the next generation genesis g80 uh which is probably derived from the new genesis g90 architecture Again, slightly confusing, but Hyundai and Kia, as I've said many, many times on this show, uh, they have been on an absolute tear when it comes to new vehicle designs, new ways to exploit the market in terms of, well, everything. Uh, I have to say that I'm pretty excited about seeing what this vehicle is going to become. Now, being based 
on a rear-wheel drive architecture like the new Ford Explorer kind of gives you an idea of what kind of marketplace they're kind of looking to get into. It being a Genesis product, it's definitely going to go up against something more like the Lincoln Aviator, uh, probably the new Cadillac XT6, things like that. So it's a, it's a pretty good-sized vehicle. Uh, All-wheel drive will be made available. It sounds like they are going to be using the 5-liter V8 from the G90 in this SUV, uh, and it will probably have the twin-turbo V6 available as well. One of the things that's also being indicated in some of the news reports, at least from Autoblog that I was reading this morning, is that Genesis is working on a plug-in hybrid version of the vehicle. Uh, what exactly that's going to be, I don't know. I, I have a feeling it would probably be similar to what Ford's doing with the Aviator, where it's probably going to use the twin-turbo V6, an all-wheel drive system, and use that hybrid motor to increase performance, but also some green utility as well. Um, it would be really interesting out of the gate if Genesis made that the standard powertrain versus the V8, but uh, I have my doubts. Now, the main reason why is because Genesis is doing so well when it comes to build quality and reliability ratings. Uh, that V8 that they're going to have has been produced by them for quite some time. It would be mated to their 8-speed automatic that they've been using for quite some time. Uh, it's probably going to use the same all-wheel drive system that's available in the G80 and the G90, again, having been used for quite some time. Uh, it just seems like a smart way to introduce a vehicle into a pretty competitive market segment and really sell on the quality and reliability standpoint that uh, Genesis seems to be becoming known for. Now, as I did say, it's going to be competing with Lincoln, it's going to be competing with Cadillac, it's going to be competing to some extent with Mercedes and Audi and many others, and I kind of think if I was maybe Cadillac, I don't know if I'd necessarily even say Cadillac because uh, indications seem to be that this thing's going to start somewhere around fifty-ish thousand uh, dollars. I would be really worried personally, at least here in the United States, uh, if I was GMC or Chevrolet. Uh, both of them are about to announce the new versions of the Tahoe and the Yukon both of which are going to be based on the new Silverado and Sierra platform. Uh, there is, to put it simply, a lot riding on this chassis uh, to deliver the goods with these crossovers as we head into 2020 and 2021. Uh, the Silverado and Sierra haven't really been received with the amount of love that maybe they should have gotten, although I feel like the press is kind of turning the corner on what these vehicles did and didn't do wrong after about a year or so of them being on sale. That being said, the Yukon and the Silverado, uh, or sorry, the Yukon and the Tahoe uh, have a lot of work cut out for them. Uh, whether or not they adapt the looks of the pickup trucks directly uh, seems... Well, pretty likely, if we're being honest. Uh, but hopefully interior materials get to be a little bit better. Uh, maybe some of the build quality improves. Maybe some of the reliability improves. Who knows? But again, the point I'm attempting to make is that a $50,000 Genesis SUV, even in base specification, rear-wheel drive, you know, V6 turbo or V8, whatever it end up made, or what it might end up being is likely going to be a much better value for money than a Yukon at $50,000. Uh, that Yukon would probably have cloth seats. That Yukon would probably be missing a lot of features that are going to be standard on a Genesis, like some of the safety equipment, some of the infotainment options, the automatic climate control, things like that. Hyundai and Kia know how to build their cars 
to a price and really deliver on content in a way that no other brands have been able to do I really ever, to be completely honest. And I would probably be pissing my pants if I was GMC right now. Uh, this vehicle just like the G80, just like the G90, uh, is gonna be set to disrupt some sales in that segment. Uh, just the same, I'd be a little worried if I was Lexus as well. Uh, Lexus has the GX that's older than dirt at this point. Uh, the Land Cruiser-based, uh, was it the GX at that point, or the LX? Sorry, it's the LX and the GX. Uh, they're both older than dirt. They need a replacement. They need to have a full body thing. And if this Genesis is slotting in kind of in between the two of them size wise at a much more affordable price, offering a lot more content per dollar. Ooh, uh, I mean, good, good for Genesis, good for Hyundai Kia, uh, bad for literally everybody else. Now, all these leaked images that are coming out, they're showing a body style that is more or less a blown up G80 or G90 with the new styling refresh that they just received. Uh, it's a very good looking SUV. It really kind of looks like a poor man's Bentley Bentiaga, uh, which I personally find to be a dramatically uh, styled, expressive, wonderful SUV that has literally no reason to exist other than to make money. Uh, I love the Bent Yaga, and to see a Genesis kind of fill that hole in my heart, and at least at a, at a price that's obtainable, uh, it's definitely an interesting vehicle. So, uh, word is that this thing's not going to have a full debut until the New York Auto Show in April. Uh, I'm definitely interested to see what else comes out of this uh, as details continue to emerge, but uh, it's definitely an SUV worth keeping an eye out for if you're in that segment of the market. Uh, so we'll see when things come. Now, for the rest of us plebes, we are set to deal with much smaller crossovers and SUVs. And one of the more popular things that's been happening lately is a lot of brands are looking to do uh, subscription services for their vehicles. So think of like uh, when you get a cell phone from T-Mobile is a good example. Uh, you walk in, you want an iPhone 11, you might have to put a couple of dollars down, but in the end, you're gonna end up paying for the service to your phone, and then you pay a monthly payment of the phone added into that. So it's a very easy way to kind of conclude a transaction. There's no negotiating on price, there's no wiggle room, oftentimes uh, insurance for Apple Care or whatever is included, and people feel like you know, they did a good job. They didn't really have any other options. It's just that. And so a lot of car companies are looking at, you know, the problems that millennials have with the car buying experience, which is, well, there's no easy option like that. They don't want to haggle with a dealer. They don't want to have to choose from all these different variations of the same vehicle just to get one option. Uh, they just want a car for a set amount and to walk out the door. Uh, Volvo kind of changed some perspectives on this with their subscription service that they rolled out earlier this year, which is the, uh, what do they call it, Care by Volvo or Volvo Care or whatever. Anyway, long story short, you end up paying about $700 a month for a front-wheel drive uh, Volvo XC40 uh, crossover. Depending on where you live, that might come off to be uh, a pretty significant value. I mean, you're you're paying $500 as a down payment. You're paying that $700 a month. You're getting a brand new vehicle with a 15,000 mile per year limit. Uh, you're getting insurance, full coverage insurance, paid for by Volvo as a part of your $700 a month. Uh, and it's full coverage anywhere you go inside the continental United States. Uh, it's a pretty 
smart way to handle things for a lot of people. Now you can bulk at the $700 price point, but in many places across the country, that's actually a halfway decent value, uh, especially when you consider that you're only putting $500 down up front. And once you've had the car for a year, you can turn it in for a brand new one and just roll it over to a new vehicle. Uh, you can get a new vehicle through this plan every two years. Uh, it's something that makes sense to a lot of people who are used to that cell phone buying and owning and purchasing uh, process. And I, I have to admit that I don't completely hate it. The bad part is, of course, that, you know, most people are going to want an XC40 with all-wheel drive. That's an extra $60 or $70 a month. You're going to want, you know, some of the other features. You might not be able to get that in the vehicles that they have available. Volvo is having a very hard time filling orders for this very early on. I don't know what's happened with that. Uh, long story short, their mistakes have largely been corrected by themselves. They seem to be doing okay. Other brands have tried to jump into it. We had uh, Hyundai doing something similar to this out in California with some of their electric vehicles. Uh, they ran into the problem where they couldn't make enough of these electric vehicles, so I don't know where things stand with that. Cadillac tried doing the same thing, but the problem with Cadillac, and I think even BMW tried doing it as well, you were looking at $1,000 or more per month, and that also included a pretty significant down payment. And to most of us, that is a laughable sum of money to pay for one of those kinds of vehicles. Now, Fisker, on the other hand, they are a car company that's been around technically for a while. Um, you might know them for the Fisker Karma uh, that debuted what feels like the better part of 10 years ago now. It was right around the time the Tesla Model S came out. Uh, the Fisker Karma was meant to be this... Uh, full-size luxury sedan that had some GM underpinnings and eventually got turned into an electric car by Bob Lutz and it's been reasonably successful. I feel like I used to see a lot more Fisker Karmas out on the road uh, a few years ago. I see almost none out there today. Uh, but Fisker's trying to get back into the car building game. They're going to try to sell, start selling vehicles more frequently but they want to do it with a car subscription service. So for this all-new Ocean crossover, is what they call it. It's about the size of a Honda CRV, at least based on the images that I've seen. Uh, it's pretty futuristic in terms of detailing and other styling things, but overall, you know, eh, it's a Fisker. You know, it, it's nothing super crazy to write home about. Uh, so what you're going to be doing is you're going to be doing a $3,000 down payment ahead of time, and then you pay $379 a month for access to this vehicle. Now, this vehicle is not owned by you, but it is still owned by Fisker, and you do some kind of car sharing stuff through uh, the Fisker app, through iOS and Android, which you can actually go and look at right now. Uh, <clears throat> overall, I think the big missing component here is that, uh, well, Fisker is not offering insurance for your vehicle. Uh, in many cases, that's going to be a big hurdle for a lot of these car companies to deal with, simply because it's so different state to state. So here in Michigan, for example, we have no fault coverage where uh, basically you get in a bad accident, they're not going to pin this on a particular person uh, to have their insurance pay out the whole thing. Instead, both insurance companies kind of work together to cover costs. And in the end, it creates an insurance situation where our car insurance in Michigan is one of the most expensive places in the country to own a vehicle uh, versus other states where, you know, it's significantly cheaper, but the coverage is a lot less. So again, 
kind of weird. So this might come off as a really great deal down in Indiana or maybe in California or Texas or Florida or wherever. But here in Michigan, you know, that $379 a month price sounds fantastic for a brand new luxury electric crossover. Uh, in the end, it's kind of buyer beware. And I, I really have to stress in addition to that, that a lot of insurance rates are kind of determined by uh, how many of these cars are out on the road, how safe they are, yada, 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 yada. And uh, this thing being as rare as what it probably will be, because I can't imagine that Fisker's gonna convince that many people to jump into this program. Uh, insurance is probably gonna be pretty expensive. Let's just, let's just be honest here. Uh, dollar for dollar. Is the XC40 gonna be a better deal for you at $700 a month? Uh, versus this, uh, I would say unequivocally, yes. Uh, in most places in the country, absolutely yes, 110%. Uh, now granted, we still haven't seen a lot of actual photos of the Fisker Ocean. They're just telling you, hey, pre-order this thing online. Uh, we'll take some money, we'll build a couple of cars and give it to a couple of people, and we'll start seeing what happens. But uh, I, I really feel like this is all smoke and mirrors right now. So, I mean, hey, if you've got money to burn and you're curious about it, uh, go ahead and look into it. Uh, I think you got to search it in either the app stores. I think it's just Fisker Ocean, I think is the name of the app uh, that should pull it up. But... Uh, yeah, whoo, kind of weird. Anyway, after a short little bump, we're going to talk a little bit about Formula One. So I want to take a moment to talk about Formula One. Uh, Formula One just wrapped up its 2019 season in Abu Dhabi, well, very early yesterday morning, I guess quite late in Abu Dhabi time, and... Uh, what a season it has been. Uh, you know, as they always say, things start with the highest highs and finish with the lowest of lows. And I think this 2019 Formula One season is definitely one that meets that curve. Uh, I think a lot of us kind of went into the season thinking there is no possible way that Mercedes-Benz, that Lewis Hamilton could win another championship. Uh, and in the end, we were all dead wrong. Uh, it looked like Ferrari was going to be a very strong contender. Uh, they basically were a no-show until the second half of the season. And then when questions came in about fuel delivery uh, systems, it turns out they may have kind of sort of been cheating uh, to do well. And uh, things just fell apart once again. It, it is just an unbelievable mess of a season in my opinion and uh well it, it, it it's putting me in kind of a spot of two different minds on the one hand uh i love formula one because it is this pinnacle of motorsport it's fun to watch there's a lot of different drivers who drive very differently the great teams the cars themselves are so interesting to learn about how they work and how different teams are approaching similar problems well, on the opposite side, uh, if you're betting any money against Mercedes-Benz, uh, Ferrari, or Red Bull, uh, you're going to basically get washed out, and it's just not the same. Uh, a lot of longtime Formula One veterans have been arguing that, you know, this season had a lot of really good racing, and I would generally agree, um, but when the results still end up being roughly the same every race, in and out, 
year-round, uh, it's tough to make the strongest of recommendations to people. Uh, one of the big things that's really surprised me this season, however, is the number of people who I never would have predicted were going to be Formula One fans have been watching it and asking me questions about it. Uh, Formula One has kind of overnight turned into this... I'm not going to use the word sensation, but with the uh, Drive to Survive series on... I think it's Netflix? It's Netflix or Amazon? One of the two. Anyway, it's out there. Just Google it. Uh, it adds a lot of personality to each of the drivers. It kind of draws up the drama of each individual race. Um, it kind of talks about, you know, where teams do well and where other teams don't. And by doing that, it gives a much more human persona to the sport, to the drivers, to the teams that I think has really been missing. And I think that's really the key thing that a lot of Americans have been missing out in, is it just doesn't have the drama that... <sighs> Uh, this this word comes with a big sigh that NASCAR has uh, that's really been missing. And I, I'm thankful that that show came out uh, based on the 2018 Formula One season to kind of draw some attention up ahead of the 2019 season. It sounds like they filmed uh, another set of episodes for Drive to Survive this year, which should be quite interesting, I think, because some of the other bigger teams are participating this year. Uh... So it has me excited for 2020, to say the least. Uh, 2020, I think we're going to see, hopefully, a lot more from Ferrari. Uh, I don't really know what's going to happen with Sebastian Vettel and what's going to happen with Charles Leclerc. It seems very clear to me that Charles Leclerc is going to be the front-runner driver for Ferrari in 2020. Uh, Seb is... I don't like to say that he's washed up, but it seems like he needs a big reset. Uh, he, he made a lot of dumb mistakes this season, uh, and it shows in the, his finishing order. I mean, he finished fifth in the championship this year, um, in a year that he definitely probably should have finished second, uh, to say the least. And uh, I can't imagine that Ferrari's going to keep him after 2021. Uh, but that being said, you know, I'm not the guy who runs uh, the second biggest Formula One team in the industry right now. Uh, the other big thing that's going to be interesting to see going into 2020 is what McLaren is able to do. Uh, they were on an absolute tear the second half of the season. Uh, Carlos Sainz ended up finishing sixth in the Drivers' Championship. Uh, McLaren, I think, ended up knocking Renault out of fifth place, so they finished pretty high in the pecking order. Uh, I, I came away pretty darn impressed with McLaren. Or was McLaren fourth? Oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking now. Nevertheless, as somebody who's been a longtime McLaren fan, uh, I'm pleased as punch, to say the least, with Carlos Sainz Jr. and Lando Norris. Uh, these guys are driving cars that seem to suit them quite well. Uh, they seem to be able to keep themselves, for the most part, out of trouble in most races. Uh, as much as Lando Norris had some heartbreak uh, stuff happen this year, uh, man, they know how to put on a good show. So 2020, I think, is going to be very interesting for that team, especially if they can keep the Renault powertrain issues uh, kind of, well, off the table, at least uh, for most of the season. Uh, Renault themselves, I think, are going to be interesting to watch as well. Um, Ocon, whose first name I'm completely forgetting, uh, is jumping in to replace Nico Rosberg in 2020. Uh, he'll be alongside... Uh, what's his name? Australian man with the big teeth. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
completely forgot his name as well. Oh my goodness. Anyway, uh, I'm hoping that Renault and McLaren really can do a lot better uh, next year. Uh, I'm really hoping that Ferrari can do a lot better as well. As much as uh, Ferrari have kind of been the long-standing uh, bad guys of sorts in the sport, uh, it's, it's the team I still root for because they're really the only team that can challenge Mercedes in any broad sense of measure. Yes, Red Bull can, but Red Bull knows that they're only good at certain tracks against Ferrari and Mercedes. Uh, we definitely saw that with Max Verstappen this year. Uh, he really pulled off some interesting drives, uh, at least with uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix, uh, what was it, the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, they, they, they know how to do some things very, very well. And uh, with Max Verstappen and uh, Albon going into next year, uh, they too, I think, are going to be an interesting team to watch. Now, one of the bigger stories that I did want to touch on, at least as we close out the 2019 Formula 1 season and head into 2020, is what's going to happen to Haas. Uh, Haas came off of a great 2018 season. Uh, I believe they ended up finishing fourth or fifth in the Constructors' Championship. They did a really unprecedented thing by showing up, being consistent, being in the top ten, uh, most races having a pretty strong finish and uh, really shocked the world by proving that they know how to run a Formula One team and make some money. 2019, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. Uh, they could not get their chassis work correct. Uh, their aero work uh, would like destabilize like midway through the race. They couldn't keep heat in the tires. It was just a gigantic mess. Uh, pile on top of that, um, Kevin Magnuson's attitude towards a lot of things, uh, him not being the most, I'm going to use the word constructive, of race car drivers, in just the same way that Grosjean is arguably one of the most unreliable drivers in Formula One. Uh, anytime that there was a wreck, the joke was always, was it Grosjean? Uh, I, I don't want to say he's the new Pastor Maldonado, but it's not good, to say the least, where Grosjean's at. I and mean, it was an absolute shock when Haas announced that they were bringing both drivers back for 2020. Now, Kevin Magnussen, I could understand. Grosjean, not quite as much. They should have picked up Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, it sounds like he asked for too much money, which, whatever. But I'd just go, make it work. Like, get some good drivers in there, fix the fundamentals, and move on into 2020. Uh, but the news story has kind of been bouncing around that... Uh, Roger Penske has been talking about buying a Formula One team uh, for 2020 or 2021. Uh, Haas has also been talking about doing a significant reevaluation of whether or not they want to continue in Formula One after the 2020 season. Uh, in my opinion, I go, Roger Penske you should be buying Haas or partnering with Haas for 2020 and then buy the team outright for 2021. Uh, it seems like a very, very good opportunity to bring a legendary racing team management, manager, owner back into the sport. Uh, it's a kind of team that's going to bring in a lot of eyeballs across this country as Roger Penske does so many different motorsports here. Uh, it just makes sense, and I don't know why this isn't being peddled as some kind of conspiracy to make this happen, but uh, overall, I just have to say, uh, Roger Penske, if you're listening, buy Haas, fix this team, we'll get through it, leave Haas as a title sponsor, 
it'll be great. Uh, it, it's one of those things where, at least in terms of Haas, I feel like they know what they need to do. It's just a matter of having the money to be able to do it. I'm hoping 2020 ends up being a much better season, but at least where we stand right now, if they're already talking about how 2021 might not be financially viable, uh, this is a team that needs a bailout ASAP. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, Roger Penske at least considers it to some extent. Uh, any other passing thoughts on Formula One? Uh, I'm trying to think of anything in particular. It's It's been an interesting year. I'm very happy for Red Bull and Honda. Uh, like I said, they seem to have figured out a lot of their powertrain, power, and reliability issues. Uh, it's great to see this team doing well, uh, especially Honda's involvement. I'm hoping more teams eventually consider to adopt the Honda powertrains long term, but it sounds like uh, Mercedes, or excuse me, Mercedes will still be the go-to powertrain train uh, as McLaren will be dumping Renault uh, for the 2021 season and going to Mercedes that year. But, you know, truth be told, we don't really know what's going to happen until winter testing begins. Uh, it's a very short amount of time until winter testing begins, which is really kind of crazy to think about. Uh, it starts in early February. Uh, it's really not that far away. So enjoy these next eight-ish weeks without Formula One, uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on it again once preseason testing starts. So last up, a little bit of news about uh, where I'm at in terms of car shopping and many other things, as I kind of touched on at the beginning of the show. Uh, we had a little fender bender over uh, Thanksgiving break. Uh, another vehicle collided with mine and took off my front bumper assembly, damaged my radiator. Uh, I'm not sure if it damaged the engine at all hood, headlights, all that stuff, all smashed, and unfortunately, uh, there's a fairly decent chance right now, I'm going to guess, is that my Fiesta has been totaled. Now, thankfully, both drivers were completely safe, fine, healthy. Uh, thankfully, you know, the police came pretty quickly. Uh, everything got solved. It was a pretty amicable situation. It, it, it just it was what it was. But the truth of the matter is uh, there's just not a lot of good news, at least about my car. And unfortunately, just before this had happened, I had lost my job uh, that I had had for the last three years. And, you know, as much as I stressed about it in the moment, now I'm kind of going, uh, I don't know. I uh, Thankfully, we, we did replace my girlfriend's Jeep with that Toyota. Uh, that car has been running like an absolute champ. And me not having a job now and not having to drive 30 miles a day each way to go to my other job. Uh, overall, you know, it kind of works out not having a car at the moment. Uh, so pending what the insurance company decides to do, uh, I'm kind of looking for alternative vehicles in the meantime. Uh, I know I've talked a good amount before about uh, how I really like older vehicles and kind of the idea of sprucing them up with a more modern touchscreen to kind of drag them kicking and screaming into the 21st century. And really, I'm kind of still honed in on that idea. I've also talked a lot about how I need a little more utility in my life, but not having that previous job that I had where I was filling my car with cases of beer and cases of merchandise to drive all over this goddamn state, uh... I now can kind of get away with something a little bit smaller again. So it's 
been interesting. And I, I've definitely been humbled a little bit in terms of price points and things like that. So depending on my job situation, I could have a much wider availability of things, or I might have a very narrow selection of vehicles uh, that I'm going to be looking at and dealing with. Case in point, uh, first up is, as I've mentioned before, the Volvo XC70 and the V70 wagons. Uh, these cars are relatively plentiful here in Michigan. Uh, they're known for having a pretty good service history. They're known for being relatively reliable. Uh, it's kind of what scares me, at least about these cars in particular. I've never owned a Swedish vehicle, but I've had German cars, I've had Japanese cars, I've had American cars. Uh, the Swedish vehicles kind of cross that border between German and Japanese. On the one hand, they source some Japanese parts that are generally reliable on these vehicles. The AC systems, the transmissions, they come from Japan. Uh, but everything else is Swedish, and it's got little weird quirks in terms of design and engineering. And uh, as much as they are designed to be worked on manually to some extent... Uh, they still scare me. Turbochargers, all that stuff, I've never had to deal with it, so it could get a little interesting now. The main thing is, at least with Volvos, there's a lot of very well-maintained well examples all around West Michigan. Uh, I came across a S60 all-wheel drive recently. Beautiful car. In pristine condition. A couple little things here and there that were kind of wrong with it, uh, but they only wanted like 4500 bucks for it. It had like 120,000 miles on it. Like it looked like it was in tip-top shape. It had all been maintained here. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. Uh, the car ended up selling pretty quickly, which was of no surprise as the snow was coming, uh, but it kind of has guided me in that direction to kind of go, I, I want a wagon, I want a Volvo, it's time for me to accept my yuppie heritage and just do the damn thing. Uh, but again, like I said, you know, it's one of those things where, yes, the car is of a decent price. Yes, I can afford the car insurance. Uh, it's the, if the car breaks, can you afford to repair it? And right now that's a gigantic question mark. Now on the flip side, uh, there are the cars that are much more expensive to buy, but uh, often cost much, much less to maintain. Uh, I, of course, have touched on looking at vehicles like the Toyota Highlander before, uh, obviously Toyota Camrys, because, well, I own one that's currently my girlfriend's car. And uh, in the end, I think kind of replicating that process seems fairly likely again. Uh, I love old Toyota Camrys. I, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, anything before, I think it was the 2007-2008 redesign, uh, god, they're, they're wonderful cars. Uh, they, they, they drive well, they look good, they got the great V6, they've got the good transmissions, like, these cars run, man, like, they're just awesome, and I think there is a fairly likely scenario that I try to chase down a relatively low mileage Camry V6 or Highlander V6, uh, preferably with leather heated seats, uh, because now that I've been spoiled by that in the Camry we've currently got, uh, I'm never going to go back. Uh, but I think really the key takeaway is, you know, really the Toyota Lexus uh, ES, Camry, RX, uh, Highlander really seem to kind of be where my ball is also heading in a very different direction to Volvo, uh, just because they run well, they're easy to work on, uh, you really don't have to maintain them at all, and Daddy wants that 3 or 3.3 liter V6. In terms of other things, well, you know, there's also spinning plates elsewhere in the market. Uh, I 
came off of this Ford Fiesta thinking, you know, American cars aren't so bad, you know, eh, it'll be fine. There's just no heart and soul in them in the way that there is with a lot of other vehicles. And as much as I like my Fiesta an awful lot, and I'm going to miss that car if it does end up getting salvaged out, uh, I can't say in any way that it has made as much of an impact on my life as what I thought it was going to. Uh, as somebody who's owned two Volkswagens and two Toyotas, uh, all four of those cars had significantly more personality in them than this Fiesta does. And as much as my Fiesta is fun to drive, uh, it still doesn't have that feeling emotionally that those other cars did. And it's something that I miss, and I definitely want to get back to that. And at least with a Volvo or a Toyota, some of the bigger Toyotas, I guess, you know, you're going to get some of that. And that, I think that's just really what I'm missing and what I want to try to find. And, you know, I'm open to lots of other ideas. There is a part of me that kind of goes, ooh, you know, something like a Ford Explorer might be kind of all right just to have that kind of space and that four-wheel drive and things like that. But at the same time, I go, why? I don't need to haul shit for work anymore. At least I'm not planning on needing to haul that kind of stuff again in the near future. Uh... We'll see. I'll keep you posted. Like I always say, I'll keep you posted if something comes up. But uh, yeah, we're kind of waiting to find out what's going on with my Ford, and we'll kind of go from there. Well, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, we do post this podcast for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So uh, if you do like what you hear, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're on a platform, you can give us a rating. Please do so. It does help us get seen by other people. And if you think there's somebody out here who may be interested in hearing what I have to say about cars, uh, feel free to hit that share button as well. Uh, since I mentioned that I am currently unemployed, we might be doing more episodes of this show on a more frequent basis, so keep your ears peeled. I don't really know how you do that, but, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't want to make promises I can't deliver on, uh, but, uh, I'm sure there will be hot takes on a little more frequent basis while uh, I'm in between things. Nevertheless, guys, I hope you had a really great Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Uh, I hope that if you are traveling this week still uh, in regards to that, be safe out there. There's been a lot of snow coming down, uh, not just here in Michigan, but all around the central part of the United States. So uh, make good decisions, break early, and uh, you know keep your foot off the throttle if uh, things are getting a little hairy. So until next guy, or bleh, Wow. Until next time, guys, we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.